Hello. Um, also on this side, that makes sense. Uh, hi, my name is Taylor Stamps. Um, if we haven't met or maybe um, you haven't been um, here for long, uh, I was on staff here at New Denver for about the last three years while I was in grad school and then recently just rolled off staff. Um, and so I'm really excited to be back here with you all today, um, preaching and sharing and having a really fun conversation. Um, a couple months ago when Stephen and I were planning this sermon series, he came up to me, he's like, you know, I think it'd be really great if you did a week on environmental justice. And I jumped at that. I thought that would be fantastic. And I was thinking about it. I don't know why Stephen thought I would enjoy that. I don't know if it's because I love public transit and hate driving, or if it's because I'm really great at composting, or if it's probably, if we're honest, it's probably because I hate single-use uh, styrofoam coffee cups, as Dan can attest. Um, so I'm probably judging you subconsciously for using a single-use styrofoam coffee cup this morning, but we can chat about that, and there is grace and redemption for all in the kingdom of God. Um, so um, the last few weeks, we've been talking about justice, and we've been talking about what it looks like to live for justice. And biblical justice, when we think of the word justice, we often think of like judicial justice. Um, but biblical justice is so much more than that. It encompasses so much more. Biblical justice is rather how we treat one another, how we take care of one another, how we bring about the peace of God to the whole world. And so we've been focusing on what it looks like to live justly in our interpersonal relationships. So if you've been with us for the last three weeks, or like me, if you've been listening online, um, you know that we've been talking about what we've talking about what it looks like to live justly in our interpersonal relationships, to bring the peace of God to immigrants, to our international neighbors, to our local neighbors um, here in Denver. And that's all great. And if you've missed any of those, like I said, I would encourage you to go back and take a listen. But there's an aspect of justice that I think we're missing a little bit. Uh, there's an aspect of biblical justice that um, I think scripture invites us to engage with. And it is um, this idea that God's vision for humanity is that humanity live justly with each other and with creation. Um, I was talking to somebody this past week, maybe about two weeks ago, and I was telling them this, this sermon that I had planned, uh, and I was really excited for it, and they were like, well, that's, that's cool, but just where do, we, where do you see that in the Bible? Like, where do we get this idea that, uh, that the people of God are called to live justly with creation? And that's a fair question, um, but I would respond by saying that it's seen throughout the Bible, even at the first um, even at the first pages of Scripture. Um, the author of Genesis, in the very first chapter, says this. We have it up on the screen. Um, the author of Genesis invites humans and tasks humans to care for creation, to subdue the earth and to rule over the earth. And we see rule and subdue, and, and we kind of maybe have certain presuppositions about what that means. And as we'll kind of unpack today, it doesn't mean domineering the earth or kind of using the earth for pragmatic ends. Um, there's something a little different. And the author of Genesis goes on in the next chapter kind of to unpack what that means. Humanity is called to serve creation, to work it and take care of it there in Genesis 2.15. So we see here at the beginning of scripture, humans are invited to live justly and to live in right living with each other and also with God's creation. Um, if you've been listening, like I said, we've been inviting experts in the field 
of justice to come and kind of have a bit of a dialogue with us about what it means to live justly, what it means to talk about justice, and how we can really incorporate that into our life. And so today, as we're talking about environmental justice, I thought it would be appropriate to bring a scientific expert. I mean, I know dead languages, but I don't know anything about science. So I'm really excited um, for today's guest to kind of unpack what environmental justice looks like. Um, Carissa Bearer has been here, coming to New Denver for about three years, off and on. Um, she has her, yeah, you can come on up. She has her bachelor's in biology, her master's in, let me make sure I get this right. It's something like really long. What was it again? I have a master's in coastal management and a master's in marine and coastal education. Yeah. Um, she's worked across, I wrote it down, I couldn't find it in my notes. It sounds really important and I didn't want to botch it. And so... Yeah, um, so she's worked across the country. She's worked at Duke University, and now she works in the education, um, the education program at Denver Aquarium. And she was just telling me today she got a promotion this week, so she's like heading up the whole program. Yeah, yeah. yeah so it's really exciting. So yeah, um, go ahead and have a seat. Um, so we're talking this whole series. We're talking about um, justice, and we've been kind of using the Old Testament prophet. Um, Amos to kind of frame our conversation. Amos was a shepherd and a farmer, and God called him to both see the injustice in the world and speak to it. So when you began your career as a scientist, um, what were some of the environmental issues that kind of caught your eye and drove you to um, really kind of enter into this life passion? Yeah, so I'm actually from Pennsylvania around Pittsburgh, and I started off with my first degree um, in freshwater fisheries, so I spent a lot of time in rivers. Um, for those of you who aren't maybe fisher people, uh, <laughs> it's a multi-billion dollar industry, so it's really important in Pennsylvania, especially uh, when I was there in 2011, like six and a half billion dollars worth of um, industry. So I was always in these streams measuring the fisheries status and making sure that we were trying to fish in stocks to sustainably. Um, and as you'll see in the first picture that I brought for you, we have a huge problem with acid mine drainage in Pennsylvania. So you can probably guess which stream has the acid mine drainage. It's orange. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sadly, in Pennsylvania, we only have about 2% of our waterways unaffected by mine drainage. Yeah, it was very sad and depressing for me all the time to see this. But um, fortunately, the stream over here that looks clean is actually a before and after shot because we were able to convince the Rosebud Mining Company to build a water treatment plant and take responsibility for their pollution. Yes, thank you. Thank you. So that's really important because, like I said, it was affecting industry. Trout streams are very sensitive, so um, they don't really live in orange water. They like clean, clear, cold, oxygenated water. Um, but then when I moved to North Carolina, where I lived for about five years, I would notice a lot of over-harvesting, especially with our fisheries, but also with agriculture and other resources. Um, but one of the biggest issues that we had in North Carolina is pollution from dog waste. And we actually have that problem here too in Colorado. Um, pet waste is the number two biggest water quality pollution in the country. 
Yeah, so you guys can all help out by cleaning up after your dog. <laughs> so easy. Um, yeah, so North Carolina relies on um, fisheries of shellfish as one of their main economic drivers and job opportunities in that state. So that pet waste would close down fisheries, especially oysters, mussels, clams, scallops, those types of things, crabs, because they... Um, take in all of the bacteria from the pet waste and it makes them inedible. So super important problems. But one of the biggest problems that I saw, if you want to show our next picture, is climate change. Because if we continue on the same trail that we're going right now with climate, it doesn't matter how well we take care of our fisheries the changing global climate will mess them up again anyway. But uh, this is Highway 12 in North Carolina in the Outer Banks. This happens every time there's a hurricane and taxpayers pay to rebuild the road in the same spot. So, yeah. Um, and then our next photo is actually uh, some condos that I used to do beach work beside. Um, these are called the Riggings and they're in Curry Beach, North Carolina. And they are falling into the ocean, as you can see in that picture. Um, those little lumps down there are sandbags, which is a last-ditch effort to try and um, shore up the foundations of those homes. But as we born Christians know, if you are newer to the faith, you might not realize this, but we're always told to build our house on the rock. Um, and these friends over here didn't take that advice. They built their house on the sand and... It's falling into the ocean. So um, this is happening because of climate change, which has a sister symptom, which is sea level rise. And there are other sister symptoms of climate change as well. Um, but another one is increased hurricane frequency and severity. So sea level rise, hurricanes are causing this to happen to our homes. Um, but yeah, those are some of the major visually and emotionally impactful things that I've experienced through my development as a scientist and a Christian that have kind of made me really passionate. Um, I actually switched from research into education so that I could help to prevent and alleviate these problems with the public. So, mm -hmm. yeah. so before we continue kind of talking about the um, kind of the scientific conversation, I want to keep focusing on kind of the theology um, of creation care and creation stewardship. Um, so as both a scientist and a Christian, what does it look like for you as you've developed your theology of creation stewardship or your theology of, of creation care? Like, what does that look like? Right, so um, my theology of creation care or environmental stewardship has evolved over time from a mixture of some direct scripture, and actually we're going to circle back around to those passages in Genesis as we go, um, but also some passages from other books in the Bible. But reading through the Bible and getting a general understanding of God's heart, you can infer what he's expecting of us um, with that. And then also my experiences have helped me see kind of what areas... I feel called to focus on um, with my stewardship and care because unfortunately I can't fix everything. Um, so where to kind of guide my efforts. So, But ecology equals relationships and my degrees are all in ecology so I'm really focused on relationships and as Taylor mentioned we are uh, in relationship with creation. 
And that's a value that we refer to as interconnectedness in environmental education. And interconnectedness basically means that our choices and decisions impact the environment creation. And in turn, those impacts will eventually impact us again. And that's a feedback loop, um, which can become a positive feedback loop depending on our decisions, or it can become a negative feedback loop. So uh, we are interconnected with creation. Um, the other thing is, in scripture, we read about the fallow year in a lot of the Old Testament passages. Um, leaving our fields fallow for the seventh year, allowing the fruit trees to have fallow years before you take the fruit when you first plant them. Um, and I feel like that's a Sabbath for creation. We've learned in the past few years here at NDC um, about the concept of Sabbath and how restorative that is. And we also need restoration for our creation um, that we're given stewardship over. Um, so I think that's really important. And unfortunately, humans are invested in short-term profit and don't necessarily see the benefits of the Sabbath for our resources, our natural resources. Um, one other thing is that we are not only taking care of creation because it will eventually benefit us if we cultivate it and care for it, but also we're called to be stewards. In Leviticus, I believe, uh, God calls us tenants and aliens on his land, and we are called to take care of it in his image as his representative. And I believe with my philosophy that that means that we should be caring for it for future generations um, so that we're not just taking advantages of the gifts, but we're cultivating the gifts so that they can continue to bless uh, for future. Um, in Psalms 95, there's a really beautiful one. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. So again, this is God's earth, God's resources, God's creation, God's ocean. And I want to make sure that I'm doing justice to that. I think, oh, yeah, perfect. I think we have uh, uh, one more thing that I wanted to say. So I talk a lot. Sorry, I'm a teacher. <laughs> so basically, the last thing that I wanted to mention about my theology uh, I stated that I really care about God's heart and inferring what that means for creation, even if there's not direct words that tell me exactly what to do. And you guys have been talking about social justice in the past uh, through this series. And one of the biggest issues with environmental justice is inequity. Environmental justice is really closely tied with social justice. So... When I say inequity, I mean that even if we're given equal amounts of something, that doesn't mean it puts us on equal standing. And we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go. <laughs> okay. So yeah, so let's kind of like transition now to some of the, um, some of the science, some of the stuff um, that you're an expert on. So like what are some areas of environmental injustice that are most pressing for our world. And so maybe we can frame that both like on a global scale as also as well as like on a local scale here in Colorado or the American West. What, what are some examples of ecological or environmental injustice? So this is a hard question to answer because there are a lot of issues, but globally, like I said, the most important 
and overall issue is climate change, but also consumerism, which leads to heavy pollution and a lot of over-harvest, like I mentioned before. Um, and then habitat destruction, of course. I think there's a picture up here of those things. But in the first image, you can see some impacts of climate change. That's a glacier that's disappeared in the last uh, 100 years. It actually melted more in the last 10 years than in the 100 years previous to that. So that's um, a little bit depressing. Over on the top corner, you can see some of that plastic pollution. That's from an Indonesian beach. And I mentioned inequity, you can really see that. Our beaches don't look like that because we have the money to mitigate those plastic issues. Um, but Indonesia doesn't have those resources and that advocacy. So their beaches look like this. Um, in the bottom corner right behind my head, you can see some over harvest, in this case logging. And then down here, you can see um, an image from a drone, and that's actually the entire top of a mountain that's been removed for mining, um, and that's an example of habitat destruction that we're seeing throughout the world. So these are just a few examples of the four top issues, and those issues are interconnected, as is everything in ecology. Um, but on Colorado scale, climate change, again, um, most of my examples at the beginning were from the beach, but here in Colorado, we're actually heavily impacted by the climate change that has already happened, and we are expecting even worse impacts to come. So one of the major issues is that Colorado is one of the fastest warming states in the United States, thanks to the increasing global average temperatures. And Colorado is uh, almost high desert. We have dry prairie here, we have high desert here, and then we have a little bit of forested areas in the Front Range, in the Rockies, but um, the majority of the state is really, really dry. So as we're going, we're going to experience increased dryness and drought, which leads to a lot more um, wildfires, and also we are going to be in seeing like increased health-related issues with that heat. Um, we are in Denver right now, and cities have what we call a heat island effect, which means because there's a lot of concrete and not a lot of green space, um, and the insulatory properties of all the buildings, usually cities are a few degrees warmer than the surrounding area. So as we are warming and having average temperatures increasing, we're going to be seeing a lot of the infants in our communities, the seniors in our communities, the people who are underprivileged, the people who are in poor health. They're going to be severely impacted by um, this increasing average temperature and also an increased number of extreme temperature days. So unfortunately, that really affects those of us who can't afford air conditioning or who are already sensitive. There's also going to be increased breathing uh, health issues as well. So things to worry about with that climate change. Another thing that we're losing is our habitats that we value. How many of you like to go skiing? I actually don't know how to ski, but I just bought myself some snowshoes for my birthday. Um, so hopefully we'll be able to do that some more. And how many of you like to go hiking? Anyone? I do that. Rock climbing, bouldering, hiking, all of that fun stuff. Whitewater rafting, 
I love that. Um, we're going to be losing the ability to do those or enjoy those as we are increasing our temperature over time. We're going to be losing a lot of our snowpack. So that's going to impact our waterways um, recreationally and functionally. But also our habitats are moving up in elevation. So our forest that we have at the base of the mountain is going to be migrating further up the mountain, which compresses the alpine tundra and those alpine meadows um, where the pika and the cute... Um, marmots. Marmots, yeah. yes. I was like, I don't have these where I'm from, so I'm trying <laughs> to think of... Uh, yes, and all those adorable little animals live. I think I have a... Oh, this is an image of the decreasing snowpack. And here's our little pika. Yeah. And then there's a protester <laughs> trying to uh, get our government to care about climate change. So, yeah, we're going to be losing these guys. And that uh, glacier image or the missing glacier on that previous picture is from Rocky Mountain Alpine Visitor Center. Um, so there's supposed to be a big glacier there, and it hasn't been there for years. Uh, yeah, so let me see. Hmm. If you guys are a little bit worried about anything I've said, don't worry. You can talk to me after. There's lots of things that we can do to help. Um, but one last thing. I've mentioned like the ecological issues that we're facing with creation. But our biggest issue um, from an environmental stewardship standpoint isn't the problems that we're facing. It's the limits to solutions. And the biggest limit that I've witnessed is apathy and a feeling of being overwhelmed. Um, and that usually comes from, you know, the doom and gloom that you're hearing on the news about all of this stuff. And I'm here to tell you that one person can make a huge difference. And if we all work together, everyone in this room, then we can make an immense difference. Even with those small things like cleaning up after your pet. So one step at a time. And we'll come back to that again. Yeah, so you kind of alluded to it just now with that answer, but um, justice as it's presented in scripture is distinctively communal. Um, groups of people experience injustice, and on the flip side, groups of people are called to engage with justice. Um, and so how do some of these environmental concerns, you've kind of alluded to it um, already, but how do these environmental um, injustices affect groups of people, and then how can communities like our own um, engage with environmental justice? Right. So I mentioned inequity, and I stated that that basically means that even if people are given the same resources, that doesn't necessarily put them on equal standing because of differences in where they started. So um, with the heat, again, you're going to be seeing community impacts amongst lower-income communities who can't afford air conditioning or pool passes or any of those other ways to deal with the increasing temperatures. Um, and again, the seniors, the infants, the ill community members, those are going to be people who are impacted by environmental issues first. And it's not just climate change and increasing temperature. Let's say um, a company wanted to develop a cement factory somewhere around Denver. The, those of us who are wealthier and can afford lobbyists and advocates are going to ask for that cement company to be far away from our homes We'll say it can be here in Colorado, just not where I live. Um, but those 
poorer families are not going to be able to afford that same advocacy. So those cement factories are going to end up right in their backyards. And that increases asthma and lung cancer and other issues for the surrounding neighborhood. So that's an example of inequity um, with development instead of just the inequity with the climate change and other issues that we're facing. Um, you saw the photo of the beach before with all the plastic, but also some of our nations around the globe are actually disappearing because of rising sea levels and things of that nature. So we're going to be seeing a lot of ecological immigration as well um, with those poor people who can't make construction changes um, to their towns, their coastal cities as well. So my take home message for that is for most of us, our problem with inequity with our community members facing these challenges is that it's out of sight, so it's out of mind. And I challenge you to be more aware, to not change the channel on the news when it gets a little depressing. Um, if you say, hey, I don't want Amazon here, or I don't want the cement factory here, do a little bit of research to see where will it go if it's not here, and try and find other solutions. So things that you can do, advocate for those communities who aren't able to advocate for themselves. That's a big one. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so what's one thing um, you wish you could tell Christians? Um, you don't have to wish, you can actually tell Christians. You, uh, what's one thing you would tell us about um, creation care and stewardship or one thing you wish um, maybe we had a different perspective on? Sure. So um, at the beginning, you had the passage from Genesis and in which God gave us the commission to have dominion over the fish, the birds, over every living creature. Um, and I think that with Christians, a lot of the mainstream Christian bodies have taken that to mean this is all for your benefit right now. Use it until it's done. Um, but as I mentioned before, I believe that we are given dominion to rule over this land and ocean in God's image um, as his representative. And with my understanding of God's heart, I know he wants us to take care of the poor. He wants us to take care of our neighbors. He wants us to take care of the foreigner. So I believe that we are simply here as stewards um, and that we should be cultivating and not conquering creation. Yes, cultivation does not equal conquering. <laughs> so yeah, focus on working the land and making it prosperous, working the oceans, making it prosperous, not just take, 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 profit, 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 and who cares what comes after. So I think maybe here at the end or towards the end, we've, let's say we've been listening to you and we were tracking with you, but then we, kind of like what you alluded to earlier, we have this overwhelming sense of like, I don't know what to do, what can be done. Um, I'm just going to go live in a hole and not do anything. So um, I feel like the same, same way sometimes when I hear about all of these issues. So what are some practical steps our community can take um, to live as good stewards of, of God's creation? Right, so I totally understand feeling overwhelmed. Like I said, our two big issues are people don't know about the issues or people know and they're overwhelmed and that 
causes apathy because they feel like they can't do anything. And I've been there. Um, a lot of this stuff makes me cry because I wonder, like, how can I mobilize enough people um, to make this difference? But I have to step back and remind myself, first of all, with God, anything is possible. Um, but second, there are a lot of things that we can do in our daily choices that can help mitigate these problems. Um, so some examples, we can try to reduce our fossil fuel emissions. One way to do that is daylighting, which is actually super easy here in Colorado because we have so much sunlight. Um, but daylighting is actually when you go about your day with the lights off with the blinds open so that you can still see, but we're not using so much electricity. And that's especially easy in the winter, maybe not quite as easy when it gets really, really hot. Um, but the more you do it, the less days that you're using your lights. And in the summer, when it's light for longer in the day, that's super nice. Um, another thing that you can do is please unplug your chargers. Modern cell phones take up more energy than refrigerators. So please unplug them. Um, I have my cell phone charger on a power strip, which I, like, so all my stuff is plugged into a power strip, and then I just unplug the power strip, so that makes it easy. I don't have to go around and, like, click everything, um, and I do that every morning, and then when I go back to bed to charge myself, I plug it back in. Um, those power strips, those chargers, they pull energy even when you're not turning on your appliance, so that's called vampire load which is a fun term, um, because it's sucking the lifeblood out of your energy <laughs> bill. So get rid of your vampire load on your appliances. Anything you're not using, please plug, unplug it. Another simple thing I've talked about a lot of times because water is my main area of focus, please clean up after your pet. You can bury pet waste, you can throw pet waste in the garbage in um, biodegradable bags, they do make those. And please don't leave it in the yard because when we have storms and floods and all this rain we've had recently, that washes into our watershed and it impacts our recreational activities and also economic activities and it just looks and smells bad. So clean up after your pet. Um, and then say no to plastic and styrofoam, which is a type of plastic. <laughs> um, yeah, someone actually gave me a muffin um, as a tip for pet sitting last night and it came in this little plastic container and I was going to bring it to eat and then I was like, I can't bring a plastic container when I tell them not to use plastic. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was sweet of them to give it to me. So yes, please try not to use single-use plastic. Please switch to glass or metal because those are truly recyclable. Plastics are only downcyclable, which means only a portion of the plastic gets recycled and it degrades each time it's recycled. So when you see the number on your plastic, that's how many times left that plastic has to potentially be recycled if you even bother trying and if your country actually um, ha handles recycling well. In America, you might have been hearing on the news about our recycling issues. If you wanna learn more about that, Talk to me later at the picnic, which we're going to have tonight. Um, yeah, and then 
Consumerism is one of our biggest issues because it impacts pollution, it impacts habitat destruction, it impacts over-harvesting of resources, it impacts climate change because petroleum is used to make most of our products, even the ones you wouldn't even think of, um, sometimes fabrics even. So being a responsible consumer is something that you can start working on and get better at over time. Like, I don't expect you to be, like, a hippie right tomorrow. Like, do it. Um, but you can take small baby steps. And one way to start with that is apps. We love apps. There's an app for everything. So there's two apps that I'm thinking of. One is called Eco Report Card. And it literally just gives you a brand name and a grade letter. And I can tell you right now, Nestle is failing. <sighs> Monsanto is also failing. Nestle owns a lot more than you would ever imagine. Um, but that's one app that you can use. If you're interested in eating, I'm interested in eating a lot, <laughs> so you can tell. Um, seafood especially, there are apps that help you to choose sustainable, responsible foods. So one of those is Seafood Watch, and it's operated by the Monterey Bay Aquarium, and it comes as a website and as an app, and there are also little pamphlets that you can put in your wallet. So that makes it really easy, but it gives you um, flavor profile alternatives for unsustainable fish. So if you really like swordfish, that's a no-no. It'll say, oh, well, this tastes like swordfish and is sustainable, you should try it. And it tells, that, uh, tells you for your region and your season. So. That's a really, really good one. Um, but like I said, I will be at the picnic and also I'll hang out here at the end if any of you wanna talk to me, get coffee with me sometime, get my email address. I'm happy to direct you towards whichever issue is really worrying you, how to fix that issue. So yeah, feel free to talk to me. Awesome, yeah. So you'll be down here um, afterwards and then also at the picnic um, tonight. Mm -hmm. um, any final words you wanna add or anything like that before we before we transition? Yeah, just basically um, consciousness. Cultivate is not the same as conquer. Please focus on cultivate. And don't feel overwhelmed. Um, I'm here to empower you. That's why I work at the aquarium as an educator. It's definitely not for the money. So, <laughs> so please um, take that time to talk to someone. Take that time to do some internet research. Look up this app and one little choice that you make today, once you get that into your routine, then maybe next month make one more little choice. And just add on like that. No one expects you to be perfect tomorrow. I'm not perfect either. So, I, I mean, I ate a plastic muffin box today. Well, <laughs> not the box, the muffin. It was chocolate. It was good. <laughs> so, yeah, thank awesome. you. Well, thank you. Everyone, let's give a round of applause. Yeah. Um, and as Anne comes back up, I'll go ahead and, and pray for us. God, you've made the universe with all its wonder, its beauty, its order, the atoms, the galaxies. Um, so we explore the complexities of your creation. May we come to know you more truly and know ourselves and know our roles as stewards of your creation. Um, you've tasked us to become workers in your creation, to care for and steward creation. And I pray that you give us wisdom and reverence as we take on 
that task of stewarding creation. And when our care and our stewardship is found wanting or lacking, may you guide us into reform to be better stewards of your creation. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.